0: Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Well, good evening. Good to see you here tonight. A little surprised by that little picture. Boy, that took me back in time for a long ways. We're going to begin a new book. We finished Philippians last week, so we're going to begin a new study and we're going to look at the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is just an incredible book. There's so much great theology there. Paul deals with so many very specific things that are important to us. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and all of these are included in this great book. And so we're going to look at Galatians and tonight we're going to begin by looking at Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 to 5. And what we need to understand is, Paul's writing this letter, one of the principal reasons he's writing this is because these churches are on an edge of just toppling over and going off in the wrong direction. And we'll see that as Paul addresses them in, in another night or so. But we just have to understand, he's writing them because there's the Judaizers, these people that just keep showing up in all of Paul's letters. They're there, they're saying, look, in order to be a good Christian, you have to be a good Jew. And if you're going to be a good Jew, there's some of the laws you have to keep and some of the things you have to do. And that was just creating a lot of confusion. And some were ready to go into it, believing in that, because after all, that was their heritage. They, they grew up with that. They knew that. But Christ came and things now are different. And so Paul's writing this letter to them to help address this issue. So let's begin. First of all, Paul is qualified. Paul begins this letter in the first couple of verses kind of just powering up, if you will. He's going to establish, hey, this is who I am. This is the reason I can write this letter. I can tell you this. You need to listen to me. Notice what he says. Verse 1, this letter is from Paul, an apostle, <laughs> an apostle, someone who is sent with commission, someone who has been specifically charged. He says, I wasn't appointed by any group of people or any human authority. I didn't get my license online. I didn't just sign up for something and get something. He says, I was appointed by Jesus Christ himself, by God, the father who raised Jesus from the dead. Now that's pretty strong. He says, look, I'm going to tell you some things. You might not like everything I have to tell you, but I want you to understand something. I'm not just some fly-by-night guy who suddenly just decides I'm going to do this. I have been called by God, and I've been called by Jesus Christ, and God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, you see, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme proof of the power of God. God raised Him from the dead. That's about the most critical, hard-to-do thing that you could ever imagine. And so Paul begins this letter establishing his credentials of saying, look, I have some things to say to you. I'm an apostle. Don't, don't question that. And I didn't get this just of my own making. I've been called by God to do this. And so Paul is qualified. He, he establishes that right at the beginning. And then secondly, the brothers and sisters are unified. I know some of you are thrown off, wrong letter, but look at the end of it. It'll be fine. And so he says, look, here's what you need to know. Verse 2, all the brothers and sisters, in other words, all the people around me, all of those even from some of the other churches, all of us here join me in sending this letter to the churches. Notice churches. There's more than one church that's being addressed here. He's probably writing this letter to give it to one of the churches. They're responsible to pass it on to some of the other churches that are all in that area of Galatia. And so Paul says, look, this isn't just me this just isn't me doing my own thing. I want you to understand there's another group of people that I travel with. There's another group of people from other places. And we're all unified in this. We all agree with this. And so we're going to do this so that you understand just how important this is. I want you to know that. And I want you to be able to understand. I have something to say, just not for me but from all the other people as well. So take notice of what I'm about to say. And notice what else he says here. Paul's desire for the Galatians is to be justified. He says, I want you to come to a place where you're in right standing with God. Verse 3. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace, Grace and peace are a very critical element of your walk with God. It's justified, he says. I want you to come to a place where it's just as if you had never sinned. You folks have gone out on the edge. You folks are getting off on some wrong doctrine, some wrong teaching. You're doing some wrong things. I want you to come back and let God restore you and give you His grace and His grace will give you peace. Now, that grace and peace, that little phrase is a phrase used often. In fact, I went through this today, 17 books of the New Testament have within their first few verses the phrase grace and peace. So Paul, when he writes, Peter, when he writes, all want you to have grace and peace being able to stand before God by God's grace and having the peace that results from that. I mean, here's the books, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, 1st and 2nd Peter, 2nd John, and Revelation. All of them in the first few, grace and peace, grace and peace. I want you to have that. I want you to understand God's grace and how far it goes. I want you to be justified in your relationship with God. I want you to come to a place where you understand how God accepts you and that you can come back to Him even if you've gone far away. Perhaps the greatest illustration of this is the story of the prodigal son. Most of you are familiar with it. You understand it. This young boy decides that he's had enough of living at home. He doesn't like dad's rules. He thinks he's missing out on something that the world has to offer. And so he goes, dad, I'm done with the home. I'm done here. I want you to give me what you owe me. And I'm going to leave. I want want it now. I'm not going to wait. The father tries to reason with him probably. And finally says, okay, here it is. And we're told that he goes out. He heads for a distant country. He goes somewhere and he spends it all basically on riotous living. Bible doesn't pull any punches. He just goes out and wastes the money having a good time. But once the money's gone, now he's suddenly in a dilemma. It tells us that he was so desperate that he took a job feeding pigs. Now for a Jewish boy, that's not a great job. And so here he is in the midst of a mess that he has made. And he is created. He's walked away from the Father. He's gone and done his own thing. He thought he knew what was best. He thought he understood his rights. He thought he could do this and handle it. And he just believed that it was going to be okay. But yet, he came to his senses. It's a great phrase in Scripture. It's a great phrase in this story. And one day he begins to realize, you know what? Even the servants back at Dad's house have it better than I do right now. I'll just go back, I'll swallow my pride, I'll apologize, I'll say I'm sorry, and I'll just ask him to make me a servant. Just let me be one of the bottom people there in the household. Don't expect anything else. So he begins his journey back home. It's a great story because we understand the father's looking for him. It says when he saw his son when he was a long way off, he went running towards him. That's an unusual action in these days and times. People would hear that and think, a father would never do that. But it shows how much he loved him. He embraced him. The boy goes, Dad, I'm sorry. Just make me like one of your servants. And the dad goes, I want you to pay for what you've done. I'm not going to give you anything. You need to apologize to me and to your brother. No, no, that's not what he did. He said, go kill the fatted calf he put a ring on him, he put a a robe on him, put sandals on his feet, says, my son's home. Let's rejoice. You see, when you're willing to come back to God, when you're willing to turn life around, when you've made those mistakes that have taken you in a direction you didn't want to go, God wants you to be justified. He wants you to come back to him, and he will make you, as the father did this boy, just as if he had never left. That's incredible. That's really just astronomical in how we look at things and what we would do and what our tendency would be. And so what did the father show his son? He showed his son grace. I'm going to give you grace. You don't deserve it. It's it's not something you earn. I'm just going to give it to you because that's the type of God I am. That's the type of father I am. And I want you to stay home And I want you to have grace. And if you're like me, okay, if I got that, I should also have peace, shouldn't I? To know that I serve a God who is so gracious, who is willing to justify me through no thing that I have done, but because He loves me and He's gracious and He gives me His peace. And so that's the story here. Because when you have grace, you get peace. The son left, came back, That's justified. And so Paul says to these people, you know what? I want you to have grace and peace. I want you to be justified. I know maybe I'm going to say some things that you're going to have to kind of repent of and change your way of doing things. But I want you to know grace and peace are available to you through God. Then he goes on. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. Verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. A couple of things, just out of that simple verse. First of all, God had a plan. What happened when Christ was here was not some accident, it wasn't, well, you go there, see how things work out, and we'll see how this goes from the very beginning, we are told that God had a plan. Nothing happened without God already putting it into place and directing its course. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This is God's plan. Here's what his plan was. Both Gentiles and Jews, in other words, that's everybody who's ever lived, Everybody falls into one of those two categories who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Equal, equal. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. So God had a plan. His plan, he wants to give grace. He wants to justify you. He wants to bring you home. He wants you to be with him. That's his plan. That's what we just read. That's what he told. And then he says, you know what? He wants to transfer us from this world to another world. He he wants to put you in a place so that you can be free. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be freedom. He wants to transfer you from Satan's power to the realm of God's power. And he wants to do that now, and he wants to do that in the future, because that's what Christ came for. Matthew 20, 28 Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. He wants to rescue us, it says, from this evil world. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of people who don't want to be rescued. There's a lot of people who think this world's great. Who are thinking that this world will offer to them everything they want and everything they've dreamed of. And so many people live in this world searching for what this world has to offer, thinking they're going to find life, thinking they're going to be better off, and they're not. And he says, I came to rescue you from that place. I came to take you out of the realm of where Satan reigns and where he's in control. And I want to bring you into my realm. That's why scripture says, you seek God's kingdom first. Because he wants you to live in that place. While you're here, and he wants to take you to that place one day and we call it going home. And so he had that plan his plan was he wants to rescue us and he did that through the cross. We're in that season Palm Sunday Easter the cross is such a great place. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. A lot of scripture here, but it just gives such clarity to what Paul's trying to say. And I think clarity for what each one of us need to really understand and focus on. It says here that the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. You know, people in the world who don't care about Christ, they think the cross is foolish. But we who are being saved, we know, we know it's the very power of God. And the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, discard the intelligence of the intelligent. One day, those people who think they're so smart, who think they know better, who think they know more, are going to get woken up. And I will destroy what they think is so wonderful and so great. So where does that leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. To a lot of people here, you and I as Christians serving God are foolish, missing out, serving someone, something that is just a fable just made up. They just think it doesn't exist. And since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, in other words, it doesn't always make sense. That's where faith comes in. Face of the element of, I don't fully understand it. I don't have all the answers, but I believe it because of what Scripture teaches and what God says. He, he's made it th- never through wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. <laughs> kind of puts me in an awkward place. I'm a foolish preacher. What can you say? You know, that's what he do. Because it sounds foolish to the people who don't know God. It sounds foolish to the people who might listen and tune in or, I mean, as they're going through different places on the internet or wherever, and they come across, "Ah, that's a, that's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. It's foolish to them. But God says, I'm going to use that to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews. Why? They want a sign. Remember, as Jesus was living here on this earth, what was he constantly asked? What's another miracle? Do something else. Prove to us. Show us. Let us see something. And yet, and he even said, look, can't you believe me just because of what all the miracles I do? And yet, he, as he did those miracles time and time again, they still didn't believe in him. And the Jews asked for a sign for heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks because they don't understand it. It doesn't fit their philosophy. It doesn't fit their way of thinking. It calls principles like for humility and that, which the Greek thought, that's foolish. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended because, no, that would never happen. And the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. Isn't the Bible relevant? The same things that are going on in the biblical times are still going on today. The same message that Paul gives is the same message that's so relevant right now. But to those who are called by God to salvation, to those who accepted the salvation call that God has given to everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ demonstrates God's power because He's raised from the dead. The wisdom of God because He showed and taught the principles of the kingdom. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Take the strongest person you know, the weakest part of God is still stronger than that. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Well, that's really the truth, isn't it? Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. One day, God will put to shame all those people who think they know so much, think they have so much, think they can do so much. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing, bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You're not going to boast, well, I knew that, I understood that, I had this, I knew this and that. That won't happen. God says, look, you think you know so much, you think you have this Understand, it's foolish. And I'm going to use this preaching. Paul says, look, I'm going to preach. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to tell you this. It's God's way of giving you truth. It might seem foolish to you. It might seem, well, I don't think we can understand that. And notice he covers both the Jews and the Gentiles because that's what's going on and what he's going to be addressing. He's still addressing it today. The power of God. The power of the cross. It seems foolish to those who are perishing. But for us who are saved... It's the power of God. And finally, God must be glorified forever. God must be glorified forever. Verse 5. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. That phrase is also repeated often throughout Scripture. That you and I exist to give glory to God. Now, We have another name for this as we go about our life here on this planet. When we give glory to God, you could also call that worship. It's the way we worship. Our life is a worship to God. How do we worship God? By the way that we act, by the way that we talk, by the way that we think, by the way we relate to other people. All of that is our worship to God, and it should glorify Him he should be honored by it. He should approve it. He should say, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's the way things are done. And so all glory to Him forever and ever. You see, we don't just give glory to God now. We'll be giving glory to God all throughout eternity. That's what heaven is about. Because God is the ruler and overall. Jesus Christ died so that we could be saved. And so that God, the Father, would be glorified forever. And that's what we want to do. That's how we want to live our lives. I want to live a life of worship. That means that I want my life to glorify God. I want to make God look good to the people that I know. I want to exalt God to a higher level by my life. I want my life to represent Him well. Worship. Glorify Him. Last verse. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice? And who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back? For everything comes from Him and exists by His power, and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever and ever. So, I'll leave you with this. Have you been living a life that you experience God's grace and peace? That God brings you to a place where you receive His grace. He puts you in the right standing with Him. And you have the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's what he wants for all of us. To be at peace with God. To have that grace that makes it just as if I never sinned because sin is what separates me from God and I need grace to help me bridge that gap. And God gives that to me just like the prodigal son's father gave it to him. Welcome home. It's yours. Come back. Welcome home. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, I love you. You're still my son. Let's celebrate together. So are you living with that grace and peace and are you living a life that gives God glory? Now, tomorrow, and the next day. You say, well, I'm at home, I can't do that. Oh yeah, even when you're by yourself is your life giving God glory? It's an every day, every moment thing. So I'd encourage you, live with that grace and peace and make sure life, uh, God is glorified by the way you live your life. Let's pray. Lord, today, thank you for this reminder for us as we enter into the Easter season. The power of God is demonstrated in the cross. The resurrection of the dead. And we thank you that we serve such a great God who had a plan so that we could have grace and peace. And so, Lord, as a result of that, and thus accepting that, would you help us to live our lives with that wrapped around us and a life that brings you glory. Thank you for all that you give to us and all that you've done to us. May your name be glorified forever, we pray. In thy name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8, 15 and 10, 45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday Night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.